0: Oh, baby. We are back here on MLB Morning Coffee. It is a Tuesday morning here from the Ocean Avenue studios in San Francisco, California. So glad that you could be with us today. We are very thankful that you are able to gather up by the fire, by the coffee pot, and and listen to a little bit of our show. We promised you on our Top 10 Dodgers episode yesterday that we were going to have a big leaguer on, and I... I told you I was going to deliver, and we delivered. Joining us from Arizona is Texas Rangers relief pitcher and my fellow Northwestern University alumnus, Luke Farrell. Luke, what is going on today, my man? Uh, not much. A lot of sitting around lately. How about you? Hey, you know, just trying to pump out audio content as much as possible and uh, you know, get a little home workout in. I've come up with this like nine-mile walking route from where I live to the ocean. How many miles? So... Nine miles. Yeah. So I live on Ocean Avenue and it's about four and a half miles to the actual ocean. And I've done this walk like three days in a row and it's just it's burning me up. But it's a good way to
1: false advertising. over there.
0: Yeah. Ocean Avenue is kind of a long street. I walk all of it and it, it truly does hit the ocean. So <laughs> Luke, you were off to a great start in spring training. Uh, And you had had a really good bounce back year with the Rangers after you had your jaw broken in spring training. So you used to sitting around for a while because you didn't really have a whole lot to do after you got injured in spring training of 2019. So for you this sort of period of nothingness, is it new to you or were you able to be able to do some activities when you had that broken jaw last year that you could or could not do this year?
1: Yeah, sadly it's not too new for me. I seem like I I can't get out of Arizona lately. So, um, last year after I got hit, I had to spend pretty much two months, um, kind of doing nothing. I mean, sitting on the couch mainly, I had a concussion that, um, I was advised really not to do anything. Um, which after about two months, you know, you're kind of pulling your hair out. So I got set up with a new doctor at that point that was having me do some different things, and then I started to to get some activity going. Um, But, yeah, I think it's almost like Groundhog Day right now. And Back in Arizona, the weather's starting to get a little bit hotter. You should be playing, but you're not. Um, So it's kind of eerily familiar.
0: You got off to a great start in spring training. You had not given up a run in any of your spring training games and all of a sudden all the momentum you have just comes to a halt what was the experience like for you knowing that you basically went from full speed ahead all the work that you put in the off season to get ready for this season and then to know that you got to put it all on hold and you don't know when you're going to get to go back
1: yeah and that's a great way to put it, it and that's pretty much what took place last year when I had that injury and I think a lot of guys would say the same when they've had an injury but um I mean it's pretty unprecedented for what is going on right now, just for all of us to stop. And, you know, I remember when we first had meetings about COVID-19 and potential ramifications on our league and maybe moving opening day because then Seattle was the hub and that's where we were supposed to open. Um, I mean, even then, there was still a lot of hope. Um, None of us knew that it was going to really explode into what it's become.
0: So what was the marching orders you got from the Rangers, did they basically advise guys to stay in Arizona? Did they advise guys to go home? Did some guys go back to the greater Dallas-Arlington area? I mean, what was what was the preferred method of splitting up that the organization gave you guys?
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like every time we, we came to a, a plan or at least had some ideas in motion, within 24 hours, they, they had all changed. Um, and, I mean, even even the last game we played in, I actually pitched the last inning, which was the fifth inning, and then we got rained out. And And after that, we haven't played since. Um, so I think we had a team meeting maybe the next day, and it was, you know, games are going to be shut down. We're going to try and stay here. And then we had a players-only meeting the next day after that, and it was they're going to shut the complex down. Why don't we all, as a team, get on the plane and then head over to Dallas and we'll train out of the stadium. And then once this blows over, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be ready. And if not, we'll come back to Arizona for a brief spring training and then get going again. And literally 24 hours after that, it was hey, MLB has three options for you guys. Um, you can go to the home city in Dallas. You can stay here with the complex or you can go home. And if your family's at home, you know, a lot of the guys have kids, or they have wives at home. Um, that was a – initially it wasn't an easy decision for him because, you know, you never want to leave the team, especially right when it's supposed to be opening day. But, um, again, like in those short 24-hour windows, everything changed so much that a lot of guys were set on going home. Um, for some of those people, their house happens to be in Dallas, and there was a hope to be able to train just right out of the stadium. But, oddly enough, our stadium wasn't ready to take us yet because it was still, you know, a few days before opening day. And, uh, you know, just talking with some guys over there, they've, you know, Texas and Dallas has been on a, I think they call it a mandatory shelter or something like that. So they've had a hard time getting to the field. Um, and, you know, I, I rent pretty much everywhere I go anyways, and I've got some family out here, so it was an easy decision for me to stay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's odd for the whole team to just kind of disperse and, and break up, right? And you're supposed to really be coming together.
0: You bring up an interesting point, though, about possibly training in your home stadium. You guys have a unique situation because your stadium may not have been completely done yet. Did you guys have any indication on whether or not the stadium was going to be ready? Because the Rangers are moving into a brand new ballpark for the 2020 season. Yeah, no, they assured
1: us that it was going to be ready. It was just, um, I think, like, like most massive projects, I think it kind of came down to the wire, but They were supposed to have a big concert or something there a few days before as like a trial run, and, um, you know, they were just kind of putting those last finishing touches on. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of excitement, not only for the season, but to get into that brand-new stadium, and, um, you know, it's just curtailed for a little bit, I guess.
0: We're talking with Luke Farrell here, Rangers reliever on MLB Morning Coffee. Luke, one of the things that I think is interesting about your career is that you started – in the Royals organization and now you're training in the same complex that you first grew up as a professional training in what was that like for you to come back to surprise after all of those years being in their development system
1: yeah it was pretty cool I mean like Mike most people I think you want to be familiar with your surroundings so um, when I went over to Texas I had a really good idea of you know that area and the lay of the land I guess and I happen to know some people that were already there. And then just across the parking lot, you got, you know, at that point, not as many guys as I came up with, but still a handful of players that I, that I played with on the team and Kent City and stuff. So um, a lot of familiar faces, especially in spring training when you happen to play the team that's across the parking lot most
0: often. Give me the sense of excitement when you get that call when you first got drafted by the Royals. I can tell you exactly where I was. When you got drafted, I actually know. I actually know exactly where I was when you got drafted. I was at an overpass McDonald's in Western New York. I was driving along with two other Northwestern broadcast students out to Cape Cod for our first Cape League season. We were staying the night in Albany, New York, and our phones dinged and it just said, Luke Farrell selected in sixth round by the Kansas City Royals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a Northwestern Wildcat has been taken in the draft. So what was that experience like for you? I'm sure a lot more exciting than ordering McDonald's west of Albany, New York.
1: That's pretty cool. I'd never heard that story from you. And even better to be going off to Cape Cod for a summer. There's not many better places to spend it than there. No, sir. It was on my birthday. Um I got drafted on my birthday, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I was... We were in the middle of finals week being Northwestern, so that trimester got me and um, finals week was in that first part of June. So I think I was sitting around, uh, our baseball house that I know you've been to a time or two and, um, had a group of friends around me and, um, had some phone calls in with my agent and stuff. And then he sent me a text. He said, watch the ticker. And I saw my name go by and my name get announced. And yeah, I mean, pretty cool. Tears, tears of joy for sure.
0: You want to know something else? Maybe you did or did not know this. You said the baseball house where I had visited a time or two. Well, maybe you don't know this, but guess who moved in there after you moved out? No way. Did you spend a summer there? I spent two years there. (laughs) We lived in that house. My fraternity and I lived in that house for two years. I lived in Lenny's old room, and my my buddy Carl lived in your room. Oh, my gosh.
1: I always wondered who had taken it over.
0: Well, you know what's funny, actually, and this doesn't really mean a whole lot to anybody that didn't go to Northwestern or didn't associate with, uh, with either of our two groups, but I actually bought Colby's mattress and his printer and hauled them from the second floor all the way down to the basement. <laughs> Sounds like a raw deal. No, he gave me a pretty good deal on the stuff. I still am actually using that printer today. <laughs> Uh, But in any event, Luke, as I'm sure that I can speak to, your first summer of pro ball was in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Really fun town, but very Mormon community. And I'm sure as somebody that grew up most of their life in Ohio and on the East Coast, that it was a different experience for you. What was that first year in pro ball like for you? Yeah,
1: man, it really was. We had a collection of... Guys from all over. I mean, we had college, high school, JUCO, um, Venezuelans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans. Um, so that's one of the biggest adjustments when you first get into pro ball is, okay, now you're playing with all different age groups, all different countries, backgrounds, languages. Um, we had a kid on the team from South Korea, I think. So um, that's one of the really cool things when you first jump into pro ball is, okay, now I'm in this melting pot, and then um, – I guess to throw another variable in it, you're in Idaho Falls, Idaho, of all places. Um, So that was my first experience being in the Northwest, and um, I got to do some really cool things. I met some really interesting people. Um, One of them was a a professional stuntman in L.A., and he used to come up to Idaho and spend the summers up there, and he had a ranch. He kept some horses up there. Um, Met him, and he ended up taking my brother and I out. Uh, go fly fishing in Yellowstone Park and he's like you know, why don't you come over to the house, we'll get you fitted for waders and stuff, we'll get you rods and reels, we'll get you all set up and then the next day we'll go out early in the morning so we went over and checked him out, he seemed legit and then the next day we went over about 5.30 in the morning and we had a night game that night and sure enough we piled in his truck and we sat three across in his truck and we went up into Yellowstone National Park and I don't know if he took us in some back route or or what, but we spent the morning fishing under a waterfall. and um, Yeah, I mean, one of the coolest memories of my baseball career.
0: I can only imagine, man. So for you, Ogden, Utah, what type of experience was that for you uh, whenever you guys had to go down and play in Ogden? Because I know from a lot of experiences – my own that that's one of the more intriguing baseball environments at any level. What were what were your experiences like in Ogden?
1: I don't know that a whole lot stood out other than just I mean really pretty views. I mean you're kind of surrounded by the mountains there.
0: The count is full blah. Do you remember that? What is it? The count is full blah. So on the video board, their GM uh does this does this recording like the count from Sesame Street and it has this little ticker and it just says the count is full. Blah! I had forgotten about that Yeah that's that's why I'm uh that's why I'm here to uh to remind you to uh to give you to give you all of those uh fantastic memories of of that time in Ogden, Utah The intricacies of the Pioneer League Let's fast forward a little bit. You're going to get called up to make your major league debut. You're in Omaha at the time. Your dad is the manager of the Red Sox and He is able to take a one-day leave of absence to come and watch you pitch during your debut. Number one, how cool was it to know that he was going to make that effort to come and watch you pitch when he's got a whole other team that he's got to worry about? And number two, what was that moment of joy like when you got that call to the big leagues? A lot to unpack
1: there. The call was special. We were in Colorado Springs. Oddly enough, had gone fly fishing that morning too. That's I just realized that.
0: So <laughs> So I guess fly fishing is definitely what uh what stands out about all of this.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to go do that more often. Um, no, but we had we had played a game in Colorado Springs and the Royals had a doubleheader coming up, so there was talk that they were gonna need another starter and I had been going really well and got pulled into the into the office and I think as soon as I was going in there I knew I knew it was up, so my heart started racing a little bit. And I mean, I'll never forget it. The office in Colorado Springs, which is no longer a A team, I think.
0: They're a Pioneer League team now.
1: Yeah, so pretty dated place. I mean, tough clubhouse, pretty small, full of guys. And then the coach's room is, I mean, it's five feet by five feet. It must have been. So I'm standing in there pretty much shoulder to shoulder with these four coaches and um They told me I was going to go up and make a start, pack my bags, um, came out as claps and cheers and hugs from all my teammates and um, a lot of phone calls after that. So, yeah, one of the best days of my life right there. And then um as far as my dad being able to come to the game, he didn't, uh he actually didn't really tell me that he was going to come. I think he tried to surprise me and he tried to not add a lot more pressure to it and then the night before that game, it was a, a day night doubleheader. I think I saw on Twitter at like midnight or something because, you know, I'm not sleeping. So midnight or 1 a.m. or something, I saw on Twitter that he had left the team and he was going to come out. And so I texted him. I was like, Is this for real? Said, yeah, I'm on my way. So that was pretty cool.
0: I mean, that had to be the biggest thrill in the world because you probably wouldn't have expected that, right? Like, there's, you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, my dad's managing another big league team. There's no way that he's coming out to watch me pitch when he's got his team. I not know.
1: I know. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. you always growing up around the game. You're around players all the time, and you look up to these guys, and then you get that phone call, and all of a sudden you're one of them. Um, and then for him to come and, and experience it with me, you know, pretty special day. And then maybe even cooler, I think, was um, – Later on that season, actually, I faced him. I faced the Red Sox. So uh, with him in the dugout, that was an even cooler experience.
0: And I actually looked it up. You're the first player to ever pitch against his father's team.
1: Crazy stat.
0: It is a crazy stat. But it's one that I think is very rarely, if ever, going to happen. We're here with Luke Farrell, Texas Rangers pitcher, Here on MLB Morning Coffee, a fellow Northwestern University alumnus, a fellow Pioneer League alumnus with myself. And Luke, I want to take you back to your college days. Northwestern has an agreement with the Cubs and with Wrigley Field to play a host of different events at Wrigley. You get the opportunity to start Northwestern's game against Michigan at Wrigley, and you throw a complete game. You get picked up by the Cubs. And walk me through what it was like the first time you got to step onto Wrigley Field again after you had thrown that complete game in college.
1: Oh, I, I remember that too. Yeah, I was, uh, we had just gone back from Colorado. I had been called up like, I think Cubs opened up in Miami. And then a couple days later, they were in Colorado. So it was like first week of the season or something, second week. Um got on the plane, went to Cleveland, and then went back home to, to Chicago. And I think we landed pretty late, 1 a.m. or something after our night game. And um, David Bodie and I had just joined the team. And so we, you know, like anybody, you want to explore your new stadium, right? Your new dig. So we walked around the clubhouse and um, kind of took it all in. And then we went out on the field at about 1 a.m., and uh I went out and just kinda walked around walked around the outfield a little bit, just kinda took it in and um yeah, I th- I think I thought back on that game and um, you know, touching that field in college and it seemed so far away. And then a couple of years later you're there and you're and you're on that club.
0: What a story, man. That's that's just gotta be the biggest thrill in the world for you. And I mean You've had a chance to be in a couple of different organizations since you first got called up. I mean, what is different about the Rangers, at least from what you can tell, than anywhere else that you've been at this point?
1: I think collectively it's just the people. Um, I mean, I, I genuinely enjoy going in and, and being around the guys, being around the staff members, um, whether it's medical staff, training staff, players. Um, you know, last year I went on a rehab assignment and I, I spent a month in AA Um, there's just awesome people up and down the organization and I think they care. Um, I think they, they put the player first, which I think can become rare at certain times. Um, and then this, you know, more specifically in the major league clubhouse, it's just, I mean, it's a group of awesome people and it's, you know, hopefully we get back to playing the season. I, I know no one really knows what that status is, but um, I think it's a pretty special group that, you know, again, I, I think it's hard to find, 26 people, or, what you know, if they expand rosters, whatever it is, that, um, you know, they genuinely enjoy being around each other. And I think that goes a long way as far as winning games and having success on the field.
0: What's it like playing for Chris Woodward, being a relatively new manager and being a guy that was very recently, at least in terms of manager lore, a former player?
1: Woody's been great. Um, the way he communicates with players is fantastic. Um you know, I think he, he has his ideals and his virtues that he wants to instill in his team, and he lives them out. And, you know, I don't think you can really ask much more than that. So, um, you know, he's checking in on all of us as well as other staff members and the concern right now. And, um, you know, yeah, we're concerned about baseball, but the concern right now is about everyone's health and everyone's family. Um, and so I think it's pretty cool and pretty refreshing to have somebody in leadership that that carries out that message.
0: What are you trying to do personally to stay active and stay healthy? I mean, are you allowed to, to go outside for walks? Do you try and hit the golf course if you can? Uh, you know, are you still able to to continue your throwing program?
1: I've hit the golf course a few times. I mean, you're in Arizona, and they've kind of got it set up now where you really don't touch anything, um, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty aware of washing my hands all the time or <laughs> having Purell in my pocket everywhere I go, which is... Not what I thought I'd be doing a couple of weeks ago, but um, we have our complex open to, uh, to a few guys. So I'll go in a few days a week and, and get off the mound and stay sharp and, um, you know, carry on with my lifts and my running and things like that. And, you know, another good thing about being stuck during this time and being stuck in Arizona is that you can't get outside. So, you know, whether it's going and hiking and you're not around anybody or just – you know, walking out in the sun for a while um, just to get out of the house, get out of that cabin fever.
0: Luke, what is the one thing that you try and do to keep your mind on baseball while you know that actual baseball games are really far away at this point?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's just whenever I am working out or training or throwing, it's to just be totally present and be doing that. And not be concerned on, oh, man, we might not play in a month, two months, three months, whatever it is. Just, okay, this is my job. This is what I have to do right now. And if, you know, if you want to dwell on it after and be doomsday and <laughs> and have all these thoughts creep in, okay. But not while you're doing your work. Um, and I think away from the field, I do a pretty good job of not getting to that point. I mean, there's there's a lot bigger things going on right now than baseball. There's a lot of people being affected by this much more than I am or my teammates are. Um, And so I I certainly haven't lost sight of that. I mean, what the country is facing, what the world is facing as a whole is pretty unprecedented. It's something that, you know, at times I just can't wrap my head around the fact that it's actually happening. Um, So you just hope that, you know, we can figure out a way out of this sooner than later and, um, you know, get people healthy and and back to their normal lives.
0: One of the most unique guys in baseball in terms of how he approaches every start, in terms of how he carries himself on the mound, is Corey Kluber. And now he's a teammate of yours. Granted, you didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him compared to a lot of your other teammates because of the shortened spring training. But what have your experiences been like around Corey Kluber and watching how he gets prepared every time he takes the hill?
1: I think that I think you kind of nailed it right there. You just kind of watch him. I mean, he's not a very verbal guy, but you watch the way he works. He's so consistent. Um, I mean, he, the way he plays catch, every throw has intent behind it. Um, you know, some people call him robotic, but when you think about what we're trying to do as pitchers, it's repeated delivery over and over and over again and execute pitches, and that's the way he trains. And it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, what two Cy Youngs? Um, I mean, incredible pitcher, obviously. And then you just watch the way he does the small, minute details, which I know sound boring, but you understand, like, man, this guy just does everything with an intent and an intensity. And you can imagine why it builds up in- into the greatness that he has. And, I mean, funny enough, I was at the field this morning throwing with our bullpen coach and he goes, Hey man, you got to check this out. And he shows me his phone and he's got like a eight second clip of Klub in his backyard, um, back in Massachusetts, and he's on a turf mound in his backyard throwing to a net. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's the same thought. You know, man, a couple of weeks ago we are getting ready to break for the season, and now you've got a Cy Young award winner throwing bullpens into a net in his backyard.
0: Yeah, from 2014 to 2018, with the exception of 2015, Kluber won at least 18 games in all of those years, winning the Cy Young in 2014 and in 2017. So, like, the guy – knows how to prepare and he's Credible. so stoic in terms of of how he takes them out I'm sure that you and and others like you learn a lot from him when the season does get underway Luke what's the best part about being a major leaguer like the off the field stuff is it the travel is it the accommodations because I know that you certainly don't miss the uh the long bus rides from Idaho Falls to Grand Junction
1: oh Man, my back feels a lot better now than it it did back then, that's for sure. Um, Being 6'6 and sitting doubled up on a bus for 12 hours is nothing I miss. But the best thing off the field about the big leagues, yeah, I mean, the travel's amazing. The food, I think the food is pretty great. Uh, I like to eat well um, and eat clean, and that's just much easier in the big leagues. I mean, there's always food. You're not you're not, no one really gets there and loses weight, which is probably a
0: bad thing. But I mean, you also have to eat at really weird times because you're playing right at dinner time. So a lot of baseball players, and it's pretty much the same from the minors on up, are eating a meal before the game and eating a meal after the game. And then there may be scenarios where you actually have a breakfast and then a lunch at around like a two o'clock or something. So it seems like the eating schedule for a baseball player at any level of professional ranks is pretty darn, uh, pretty darn difficult to, uh, to understand. Yeah,
1: for sure. So yeah, you, you get a handful of uh, good breakfast spots, and
0: you're just kind of crushing up the field. Other
1: than that, and there's no shortage of food there.
0: You know what was remarkable to me is that fans find out where you guys are staying like really, really quickly. And I'll give you an example of this, and I'm not going to give away this location. So I live in San Francisco. My gym is in downtown San Francisco. And it did not matter because both visiting teams, whether it's the Giants or the A's, stay at the same hotel. And every time that I would walk from the train station over to my gym, I would see the same, like, 10 to 15 fans with their card binders, like, sitting out on this corner right by the front of the hotel. <laughs> and and one of them was just like, he's like, I know, I know Nolan, the Rockies were in town playing the Giants. He's like, I know Nolan Arenado's going to come out. He's a Bay Area guy. He's got to have family. Well, I'm going to get this. And I just walked by him like, dude, no chance. And uh, he just, like, stared at me and uh, – But no, I like that to me is the amazing part. Like, do you ever have to deal with like too many crowds at a hotel?
1: I mean, those guys are persistent with the Cubs. It was pretty crazy. I mean, Cubs fans traveled or lived all over the place. So no matter what hotel you were in, um, there were fans crawling all over the place. And I mean, you had Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Lester walking around. So those guys are obviously getting hounded left and right, but, um, yeah, I think definitely with the Cubs just the way those fans traveled, I mean, they're everywhere. It was pretty amazing.
0: What's your best story from any of your stops in the minors? Oof, best story. Best story that's PG, by the way, because I don't want I don't want to offend anybody. Like you and I you and I both know that there's a lot of stuff that ends up happening in minor league baseball that you know, just depending on who it is. So, you know, what, what's one of your best stories in the minors? I I I imagine that you've got some interesting stories from the Texas League when you were in Northwest Arkansas.
1: Yeah, there were some there for sure. Um, one that always comes to mind was in the Sally League, Loe. I was playing for the Lexington Legends, and we had just wrapped up a series in Augusta. So we jumped on a bus in August in Augusta, Georgia, We got about an hour outside the city. We were driving all the way back up to Kentucky, which I think was like 11 hours or something. We get about an hour in after a night game, and the bus breaks down. And we're parked on the side of the road, and the air conditioning at least was still going while while we had parked. And I turned to somebody. I was like, man, at least we have AC. And as soon as I said it, the AC killed. And I had probably four guys. Standing up beating on me because of course I was the, the hex that turned out the AC. So we're sitting in there and no mechanic can come because it's about midnight. Um, and they can't get anybody, anybody out to the bus. So August in Georgia, it's pretty hot. So we're sitting on the bus, sitting on the bus, probably an hour, hour and a half goes by and somebody's like, man, we gotta, we gotta open up the door. Like at least get some air or something, so they open up the door and we start feeling these bites, and somebody turns on their phone flashlight, and I'm not kidding there's probably a couple hundred mosquitoes sitting in the top of the bus, just flying around
0: oh jeez, oh my god that that's like a that's like something out of a horror movie.
1: Oh, it was awful, so guys have their shirts off, they're swatting at these mosquitoes, sweat is just pouring down people. We probably were, you know, you wanted to go outside, but the mosquitoes were all outside, too. So it was just kind of like pick your poison. So after about another hour, I think, um, we get another bus. So they bring us another bus. So everybody jumps off, grabs their stuff, and then loads it back onto the other bus. when in the process of unloading all the bags and the equipment. They had been put on the side of the road. And on the side of the road, there was an anthill. So... <laughs> We put our stuff back into this bus, and the, the, I guess, under part, you know, where you store all these bags, couldn't hold everything on this new bus, so some of it made it up into the seats.
0: Oh, I can see where this is going.
1: About 20 minutes into the ride, back in this new bus, guys are screaming, because they got these fire ants crawling up their legs, biting them. (laughs) And this was just the beginning. We had nine hours more to go. So... Anytime I hear about minor league travel stories, that's the first one that comes to mind.
0: Luke Farrell, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here today. I do not want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, hopefully you'll have something positive on a baseball field to contribute to soon. I know that, like you said, you know baseball is somewhat secondary at this time. But uh, I certainly hope that we get to see you on a big league mound again real soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Gary. Good talking to you, man. Stay safe.
0: Absolutely. That was Luke Farrell here on MLB Morning Coffee. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll catch you in the a.m.